0: Hi, diddly-ho, Preparinos. This is Nat, the Preparedness Guy, on Preparedness Works, the second-best preparedness podcast in the world. Preparedness Works is part of the Readiness Lab, the home of podcast webinars and training in the field of emergency and disaster services. Thank you to L3Harris for their longtime support and for providing technology and communication solutions to emergency responders all over the world. Preparedness. Preparedness is selfish, right? That's one of the go-to phrases we see, almost as though people feel like they have to add it when they're talking about preparedness. And if you do a quick Google search, you'll find lots of arguments for both sides of the argument. But those who are decrying prepping as selfishness all seem to have one thing in common. The self-righteous tone that broadly paints prepared people as selfish but fails to address what being unprepared is. By saying preppers are selfish, they're implying that you are somehow less selfish if you're unprepared. The way it's framed is that you get to feel good about not preparing because you'd be selfish if you were. But what is more selfish? Taking care of yourself or doing nothing because you expect someone else to take care of you. Today, I'm going to talk about preparedness as a civic responsibility. 200 years ago, give or take, every farmer laid up stores for the winter. They would grow produce, raise livestock, and preserve much of that for the winter. It was understood that everyone was responsible for themselves, but it was also understood that you helped each other out when you could. I know it wasn't perfect, but for a large majority of people, part of regular life meant making sure you could meet your own basic needs to the extent possible without relying on someone else. Now, as a society, we've shifted from a largely independent, self reliant society to one with access to many more resources, technology, conveniences, but we've certainly become more dependent it's great to live in the world we live in today but for some reason in our society we label and put down people who just want to be able to meet their own basic needs we've seen in many emergencies and disasters in history examples of individuals or whole communities who are more resilient than others or who just plain didn't need the offered resources because they were prepared well enough. So those resources could go and be directed to where they were needed more. Some neighborhoods, churches, family and friend groups work together to be better prepared. The American Civil Defense Program, um, with its cool logos... Insignias and fallout shelters and everything, particularly after World War II, brought with it what was probably the most engagement seen from citizens regarding preparedness. It was primarily used to prepare against the nuclear threat. So, as fears declined or politics got involved, the entire program was affected. I think it's really cool to look back at those programs, all the videos pamphlets, everything created uh, during the decades of the Cold War. But the bulk of the efforts were in the 50s and the first few years of the 60s, basically until the assassination of President Kennedy. And the support for civil defense, it was, like, it was waxing and waning uh, depending on social and political trends, uh, particularly with the rising trend in the continuity of government programs. So when the government was able to take care of itself, it tended, it tended to uh, take care of the people less, uh, so they could build their their bunkers, but not um, necessarily think that the people needed it. Now, um, whether that's an important thing or not, continuity of government, of course, is an important thing. The way we look at it politically and socially, is the way that gives strength to these efforts. So not just the continuity of government programs, but there's this idea pervasive in society that all the preparedness against the threat of a nuclear war was just political theater. And with regard to its being theater, this is one of the problems that come with focusing on the hazard over the impact Uh, So if we're just focusing on the nuclear threat, and that's why we should be prepared, and when we think, well, when we dismiss the nuclear threat, then we think we don't need to be prepared. Um, Response should be hazard specific, but when people looked at civil defense efforts, some of them either didn't believe that the threat was real enough to worry about, so they decided they weren't afraid of the nuclear threat anymore, And they didn't want to spend taxpayer dollars on it, or they thought it was serious, but it was so serious that there was nothing you could do to prepare for it. the mutually assured destruction, that preparation was just not adequate or even possible. So support started dying off. And civil defense had the most support when it was socially beneficial. Now, this is as a civic responsibility. This plays into that. So it was a socially beneficial organization. It made it desirable to participate in. But with the change of the social landscape, a civil defense program like we had in the past just wouldn't even be feasible feasible today. uh, With uh, how the communities leveraging other civic organizations, it wouldn't work. Even other civic organizations like the Boy Scouts or Elks Lodge or Rurton and so on, they've all seen fewer members over the decades with less community and social support and backing. It used to be common and expected to participate in civic organizations. And with that expectation came the social pressure. So in order to fit in, civic engagement was one of the things that you would do. And that's civic engagement overall, not just as it relates to preparedness. So other than the past when preparedness and self-reliance were part of everyday living, pre-industrial era, and contrary to now when preparedness is seen as a fringe activity, the two times that there was a major focus on preparedness civilly were civil defense era during the nuclear age of the Cold War and the second is the post-9-11 era. During this time, there was a resurgence of uh, preparedness initiatives, usually as uh, the typical style of emergency management, which is very much a top-down, policy-driven approach. One direct-to-individual program from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, and delivered to individuals Was the Community Emergency Response Team program, otherwise known as CERT. It was uh, pretty reminiscent of civil defense, and it taught people um, and taught individuals basic emergency and incident management principles, first aid, fire safety and suppression, search and rescue, disaster psychology, and more. The program still exists now, but after several years of it being under FEMA and the Citizen Corps, the Citizen Corps funding. From the federal government dried up and only municipalities or organizations who chose to fund the program themselves continued their cert programs most cert teams are affiliated with local government um with the local government organization and some of the municipalities the team members are augmentees to the official disaster response they'll be expected to support the incident uh, but the whatever work is being done by the professional responders, the CERT kind of fills in some of the gaps, backs them up, usually in support roles like traffic management or handling donations or treating minor injuries. Some organizations do shelter management with CERT or have them integrated in lots of events and incidents. In other municipalities, there's zero expectation of maintaining team membership or having team members show up during a disaster response or to deploy to the disaster scene. In those communities, it's a community service where people get trained, and if they continue to come to meetings, great. If they don't, still great, because they're a little pocket of preparedness out in the community. I personally like the CERT program, Um, it's got this standardized curriculum, but For those teams that continue past the basic training or the volunteers that keep coming to meetings, it can be supplemented with lots of other skills, uh, especially if you have local experts who can provide in-depth medical training or other preparedness and response training. It's not the only way to do preparedness, but it's a good way for municipalities or organizations to engage with citizens. And one reason the program wasn't maintained federally was because of the funding. When it comes to government funding, it's hard for them to justify spending money on something they can't quantify. So to determine whether or not the program is effective, they would need to prove that this training helped a certain number of people or helped in a certain number of disasters, but because, because there's no reporting database on who does what in which disaster they and what training they received, And they can't really keep the data on that. I kind of view it uh, the same way I view CPR training. We train tons of people in CPR all the time. So if we train massive amounts of people in CPR, then we can trust with reasonable certainty that it will benefit the community, even though it's extremely difficult to quantify how many people who were trained ended up using it as civilians in real life and how many lives were saved from it. So CERT could be seen as a civic organization, since volunteering is something most people would consider a civic responsibility. This was the only time, other than uh, during civil defense, that I know of, that preparedness-related actions were seen by the public in general as a civic responsibility. And it was exclusive to these conditions. It's affiliated with a program that's sanctioned and implemented by the government but more than that it was because it was during an environment that people could mentally justify those actions it goes back to uh, preparing against specific hazards fear sells. i always talk in emergency management about how we fund what we fear it's not how it should be but it's how it ends up in the post 9 11 era It made sense to the government to fund the CERT program because they wanted people to be ready for terrorist attacks. It wasn't exclusively about terrorist attacks or how to prepare for them. It includes natural hazard preparation and lots of skills that are generally applicable. But that's the way it was mostly justified. And when people stopped being as afraid of terrorist attacks or political bargaining around anti-terrorism didn't have as much weight, the program was scaled back. In the civil defense era, it was the nuclear threat. Of course, that threat has never completely disappeared. But the uh, perception and the fear around nukes has declined significantly since the Cold War. And maybe it's climbing back up a little bit right now. If we look at responding out of fear, then of course it's going to end up not getting perpetual support. Acting against what we fear is always a moving target. When we're afraid of something, there's always something more to be afraid of. It'll always be changing day to day. Yesterday's breaking news is forgotten by today's headlines that take its place. And usually it's just whatever is recent or current that we're afraid of And it seems like it's the most pressing concern of our age or or that it's more common than other hazards because we're seeing it in front of our face. So we try to prepare against those things that we're afraid of. We support them socially and politically and fund them until we milk them dry. You know, Remember what they say, never let a good emergency go to waste. If we try to look at it in a more sustainable way, focusing on our needs, understanding that those hazards are not the disaster that the disaster is how the hazards impact us and we can start to prepare understanding with the understanding that the impact uh, is on our needs and prepare to meet those needs so we're more resilient overall even though it's a more sustainable way it's still not a socially acceptable way preparedness has different negative associations from different people usually because of the way it's been portrayed in media or the way that society has allowed it to be talked about. Going from the time, the distant past where everybody was self-reliant to a time now where you're ostracized or criticized. If you're self-reliant is just a really interesting transition and the way the public perceives preparedness will be a recurring topic here. Uh, I think because I aim to fix it. I'm bridging the gap between emergency managers and preparedness and Trying to get support from both sides. So, back to looking at uh, civic responsibilities related to preparedness. Most civic responsibilities are civic engagement through organizations or through your volunteering or being active in a church or a civic group or even doing activism or protests or voting. All of these are typically viewed as a Primary benefit to the community at large. And that's kind of why it's seen as a civic responsibility. It's for the body politic, it's for all of the people. Where in contrast, something like a hobby is seen as something that is self interested or selfish. Even if the hobbies are socially acceptable, something like golf doesn't necessarily benefit the community, but plenty of people enjoy it for their own benefit or for their own social engagement. On its own, it wouldn't be considered civic engagement or civic responsibility to play golf or to play Dungeons and Dragons or to whittle or play video games or go sailing. Most hobbies wouldn't be considered a civic responsibility, although it is typically considered healthy uh, to have a hobby. Preparedness is also viewed as a hobby but not really a socially acceptable hobby. It's seen as extreme or as an antisocial selfish behavior. We started off with the idea people have of preparedness being selfish, but is it? Is it self-interested? Yes, because you're interested in yourself and making sure your needs are met. But when has that been a problem? In our age of self-care and self-love, It makes sense that we would also want to be self-reliant, but it's still not seen that way. Preparedness is something that has a positive effect on the community, but has an almost absolute negative perception by that same community. Even if there's an admission of some of the benefits of preparedness, it seems to come conditionally. Even from fellow emergency managers who have a problem with their perception of Why people prepare or how people prepare. Prepper is also a term that seems to mean anything except what the person doing it uh, believes it to be. If you call yourself a prepper, anyone else gets to decide that you're paranoid, antisocial, etc. And you have to go through great lengths to try to explain what you mean by it. The default, though, is what other people mean by it. Preparedness has been associated with antisocial behaviors like hoarding or being a hermit, but wanting to live off grid or isolated is not necessary and negative to society. It may be considered antisocial in the fact that it's against conformist participation in society the way it is now, but it isn't necessarily a negative behavior uh, or acting against, really against society. It's just separating yourself from it. Um, For the off-grid types. Uh, And I think a lot more people are getting on board with that. A lot of people just want their own space and to be a little disconnected from the world. As far as hoarding goes, hoarding and preparedness are very much different things. Hoarding is getting things you don't need in an unhealthy way and a real mental illness. But preparedness is focused on your needs. Even if you have large amounts of those needs, like food or supplies, as long as you understand what you're getting it for and it meets your needs, there's nothing wrong with that. If you take supplies from other people, or if you take massive amounts of things during a shortage, that has a negative impact. It's a negative social behavior. But as we talked about in the last episode, that isn't preparing. That is responding poorly. There are way more unprepared people than prepared people. And it would be ridiculous to think that the unprepared people are the ones sitting peacefully at home watching news of only preppers at the stores fighting over limited resources. We know it's the unprepared people trying to get prepared. And that's not preparedness. That's poor response. When the shortage is occurring... Your action should be to conserve and to lean on your preps, not to take from the limited resources available at the time. That's why focusing on your needs versus the current hazard you're afraid of helps you to have a broad scope of preparedness. Helps you keep your mind focused on your needs, not on everything else that's going on. So if we look at preparedness as a civic responsibility, it's different than most civic responsibilities. I think... In a way that works better, where most civic engagement and civic responsibilities have the primary benefit to the community and the secondary benefit to the self, if you're participating in a um, volunteer organization, then the primary benefit is to those receiving the volunteer work the secondary benefit would be to you for your social engagement or the good feelings you get from helping people or the clout that you receive for participating in an organization. And that was similar to the first decade or so of civil defense. It was socially desirable to have a role in civil defense and to participate in the activities and to do that when communities where It was integrated, it was a socially desirable, socially beneficial uh, type of environment, so that helped people want to participate. But looking at preparedness alone outside of an organized uh, method of doing it, like civil defense or CERT, it has a primary benefit to the individual. So it seems like it would fall on the hobby side of things. So what makes it a civic responsibility? How does it benefit the community? It's very simple. Preparedness, with a primary role of benefiting the individual, makes it so the individual and those the individual helps don't need to rely on the scarce resources of the community during a disaster. Nobody's going to force you to do it. It's not an obligation, it has to be done willingly. You won't be punished if you don't prepare except natural consequences. It requires personal effort and sacrifice of your own time and money. But again, like a hobby, its primary benefit is for you. Its benefit to the community is a secondary but very important effect. Even without its being a benefit to the community, there's no negative impact on the community by being prepared. So at the very worst, you're taking care of yourself with nothing bad happening to anyone else because of it. Preparedness makes you less of a drain on resources in times of need, in disasters and emergencies, but it also makes you more capable of helping others. How many people in your community could call 911 right now and get a prompt response? It depends on your community, and most of the time you get someone showing up pretty quickly, but Uh, During a regular day, it still takes very few calls to 911 to meet the capacity of the responders' resources available. There are mutual aid agreements with other jurisdictions, and that helps to fill the gaps. Uh, Volunteer, fire, and rescue help to shore up the numbers. But the more our communities and the individuals in them are prepared, the less they need those resources, the less of a drain on society they are. They're more capable people. We're more resilient, the more prepared we are. I don't know if this uh, even needs to be said out loud, but if people are prepared, then they're less likely to need the help of other people. So even though preparedness at this time doesn't have a social or political backing as it did in the civil defense era, uh, even though it was controversial at times, or even the support it had during the post 9-11 era, even though that was the time when the narrative against individual preparedness started getting pushed harder and more openly, it's still a civic responsibility. As a professional emergency manager, I may be applauded when an emergency response goes well because of what I've done to help the organization prepare. But when I do the exact same things scale down from my home, I'm suddenly paranoid and crazy. It's just too extreme. I guess the difference is because people believe that. Personal preparedness is selfish, whereas being an emergency manager helps others. But I hope I've demonstrated that personal preparedness not only benefits others, but is a civic responsibility that we should take seriously and which other emergency managers should support their communities in. This is a role that we need to take on, giving the information we have, the tools, resources, data. We do hazard assessments and risk assessments for the communities. Share that in digestible ways. Engage people where they are, not just setting up a booth at a community event, doing that, but more. Learning about how people are perceiving things, helping them understand the impacts and focusing on their needs versus the hazards. Nobody is more responsible for you than you. Nobody is more responsible for your family than you. To expect others to care for you. To to expect others to provide for you. Your basic necessities. Especially during an emergency or disaster. During a time where scarce resources are spread thin and people's lives are at stake. Is infinitely more selfish than to prepare. And it's time that we as a society recognize that. Remember... Preparedness works.